This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com. Hey Fools, welcome to the latest episode of Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It is Tuesday, September 13th, so today we will be talking about developments in the consumer and retail sectors. I am your host, Vincent Shen, and joining me in the studio today is the one and only Sarah Priestley. How are you? That was a very nice introduction. Thank, Thank you. <laughs> I, I was like really thinking about that before the show. <laughs> but uh, how are you doing, Sarah? This is our second show together, your fourth podcast overall, right? It is. I'm still a newbie. I'm definitely still in that bracket. Are you feeling the, the, the newbie jitters? Um, It's getting less and less each time, but yes, they're still there. Okay. So um, today we are talking about... Um, Two companies and some recent news. Uh, one's on earnings and one's on a uh, kind of big name hedge fund owner, activist, investor getting to it. But the first one is Naf- National Beverage Com- uh, Corp. And we have talked about the beverage industry in the past with uh, usually focusing, frankly, on Coca Cola, Pepsi, the two leading names, obviously. But in this case, you know, the um, Fizz is their ticker, uh, they're the number four player. Uh, and we, I don't think I've covered them in my time on Industry Focus, and they have seen some growth, especially in the really prominent growing categories, in this case, sparkling water, that I think they deserve a little attention from us. And uh, they have really interesting uh, CEO who's also big, has a huge ownership stake in the company. But um, you know, I'm going to let you take it away from there, Sarah. And I think it's important. The best thing we can do right now, right off the bat, is just touch on their most recent earnings to see, to put into context some of the incredible growth that the company has seen. Yes, so you're exactly right. Um, National Beverage Corp and their big brand, LaCroix, don't quite have the same brand recognition that Pepsi and Coca Cola enjoy, but they are in a boom period. So, just to give you some idea, in the past 12 months, their share price has hiked 85% which is pretty huge. So the reason for this is they're pivoted mostly towards um, sparkling water. And if you look, uh, in 2015, in the US, uh, Americans drank 12.4 gallons less soda than they did in 2005. Um, And that's the equivalent to two sodas per week less, which I think is is a big significant Mm -hmm. drop. And consumers are pivoting away from that and towards um, sparkling water. So between 2010 and 2014, domestically produced sparkling water increased by 58%. And in last year, on its own, it increased 26%. So Americans are loving sparkling water. And that's having a direct impact on National Beverage Corp and its big brand, LaCroix. Yep. So uh, LaCroix uh, breaks out basically their, I I would call it their most uh, powerful growth segment as their Power Plus brands. Um, So in case, uh, I think some of these are very regional. So there's possible that some of our listeners, you know, I had actually not heard of uh, as many of these. I've only tried actually two of the brands in Fizz's portfolio. But uh, the Power Plus brands include LaCroix, uh, Shasta Sparkling Water, Rippet Energy Drinks, Everfresh Juices, and Mr. Pure Juices. So again, these aren't necessarily, you know, the huge national names that you might recognize. But uh, obviously, in terms of this specific sparkling water niche, you know, LaCroix and uh, you know National Beverage is definitely kind of leading the charge. Uh, I think their biggest competition right now comes from uh, Nestle and like their Perrier brand, for example. But at the same time, 
you know, Coca-Cola and Pepsi, they're not kind of sitting on their hands. They see the big opportunity here. Uh, and they have actually released products to kind of compete uh, pretty recently. Uh, in April, uh, Pepsi joined the fray. They have Aquafina Sparkling, um, which kind of, in my opinion, bucks the competition. They ha- there's actually 10 calories in the water, and there's a little bit of sugar, whereas a lot of the, the competition doesn't have any. So it really surprised me. I'm, I'm kind of curious how that ends up going for them. But also Coke... Uh, has some skin in the game. They launched late in 2015 their Smart Water Sparkling, which is obviously an evolution of its popular uh, bottled water brand. So, for uh, just jump to the CEO really quick because he's a really interesting guy. Um, they don't do earnings calls, which you know, depending on your view, I typically like that transparency, that extra color with each quarter. Um, and the, you know, their press releases can be, uh, you know, quite the read uh, in my opinion. They are certainly entertaining, yeah. The So the CEO and majority share owner, so we own 70% of the shares, is Nick Caparella. Um, and he seems like a very interesting character. He's kind of built this business up. He um, bought uh, LaCroix, which is one of their biggest brands right now, in, uh, was it 1995? People? Yeah, 1996, I think. Yeah, so he, he kind of foresaw this trend away from soda towards more healthy drinks. Um, so he's, he's obviously very entrepreneurial. Um, he loves uh, the phrase indeterminable growth. And if, <laughs> if anybody has read any of their shareholder letters or looked at some of their quarterly reports, it is, it's scattered through there. So he really sees this as being um, exponential growth potential uh, mm-hmm. with LaCroix. Yeah, and it seems, you know, some of the, the stats that you mentioned earlier in the show, you know, obviously this niche does seem to have a really uh, solid runway uh, of growth ahead of it. Um, but otherwise... I'm, I guess, partially a little bit concerned with the fact that you know, I think there's like a $2.5 billion market cap company sales-wise. Uh, Coca-Cola probably, I think, does 50 times its sales. And we all know that how powerful, especially in the beverage industry, very competitive, uh, the distribution models can be, the advertising budgets, things along those lines. So, you know, for this company, obviously, leading the charge in this niche, but other parts of its business, like its you know more traditional soda business, you know the brands are kind of uh, struggling a little bit more, kind of getting stale. Um, but obviously, the CEO is pivoting as much as he can to these Power Plus brands. But what do you think, like in, in terms of you know the next five years as Coke and Pepsi really rev their engines to take over this space? Um, do you think that is is a space that Lacroix, that you know that brand can hold on to? I think to a degree. I think they've attracted a lot of people, um, millennials, um, which you know we tend to just refer to millennials as a big homogenous group. But sure. they are doing very, very well. They've um, they have twenty different flavors, and this kind of gives them the cachet of scarcity because not every store stocks every flavor. So you kind of have to go on a treasure hunt for it. And they have a huge social media following. So we were looking before we came in on an Instagram site um, specifically <laughs> just for one flavor. <laughs> of LaCroix. So they, so they clearly have quite the following and they, they don't do television advertising. They only work on social media. And so far that's worked very well for them because it's opposite, you know, uh, big business, which a lot of young people are kind of moving towards. I think that Yelp uh, as a startup, they included LaCroix in their uh, office fridge. Uh, Grubhub had a LaCroix luau at one of their happy hours. So you can see it, it has this, um, has quite the following. But yes, you're exactly right. I think as soon as the Coca-Cola Pepsi media machines start going, um, you're definitely going to have some very sizable competition. And if you look at San Pellegrino from Nestle, they're expanding their flavors too. So that's going to be increasingly pressurizing. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so um, you know, overall, and like I, like we mentioned earlier, this is the number four player. I think it's a really interesting company that uh, you know we have not had an opportunity in the past to cover. It was really interesting to do some of the research, read some of those press releases and annual reports. Um, the takeaway is if you want to try these, some of the brands that we've mentioned is the stores that they typically get carried in are like a Whole Foods or a Fresh Market. Um, Sarah actually drove around last night <laughs> trying to find some LaCroix to try, but actually there's quite a few fools here at headquarters with boxes next to their desks. So the, 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 the followers that they have do seem to be loyal, Indeed. and uh, you know those are the places that if you you're kind of curious, uh, you know what's the what's the draw? You know that some of these these flavors they have have hilarious Instagram uh, feeds. Essentially, go check it out. But um, before we move on. I wanted to thank Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for supporting the show. Listeners who have purchased a home in the past or are currently in the market, you understand how frustrating and time-consuming getting a mortgage can be. Fortunately, Rocket Mortgage is bringing the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's tailored to your unique financial situation. And it is fast, powerful, and completely online, so you can do all of it from your smartphone or tablet. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. All right, so next story, we mentioned uh, an activist investor, you know, head, guy runs a hedge fund, pretty notable, and it has uh, his recent uh, disclosure of his investment in the company is Chipotle, led to uh, quite a nice bounce in the shares, obviously Chipotle has been struggling the past year with their foodborne illness outbreaks. Stocks down, I think, over forty percent. Uh, some of their comps, uh, for, especially for the first quarter of the year, I think it was back in January, their their comparable store sales were down like thirty six percent. So really uh, h- uh, hit very hard by the 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 you know the, obviously the poor media and the uh, the just the bad visual aspect in terms of. Every day in the press, you hear about these new outbreaks happening on the West Coast and Northeast. But Ackman has had some history in uh, the restaurant industry and some very successful investments. But what do you think? Um, I think this is a great move from him right now in the fact that it's kind of much more in his wheelhouse than what he's been doing more recently. I think it's very well publicized about uh, Pershing Square not performing as it should do in the past two years. So last year it lost 20%. Uh, this year so far, it's down 14% around there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you look at uh, Ackman's investments in things like Herbalife, that's much more away from what he's previously done in terms of these turnarounds. So he has formally invested in McDonald's, uh, and also uh, he was involved in the Wendy's spinoff of Tim Hortons, and in both of those investments, he doubled his return. So this, to me, sounds like it's a very natural progression for him. Um, and I, I, I think investors should take this uh, as a kind of nod of goodwill, even though there are a lot of analysts um, that are being very bearish on the stock right now. Yeah, for Chipotle in particular. So, to, uh, just to, so for a little bit more detail, uh, so Bill Ackman and his fund, Pershing Square, they've taken a 9.9% stake in Chipotle. Uh, I think the value of that's around $1.2 billion, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, overall, Right now, there's not that inf- much information about what he might push. Um, you know, in the you know the the filing, it basically has the generic. Uh, I think 
we have the quote somewhere, but the idea is, you know, he's going to open up some lines of communication with the board, with management, uh, to look at maybe the composition of the board and other operational efficiencies they might be able to squeeze out. But there seems to be, in addition to, you know, what we mentioned at the outset in terms of some of the, uh, you know, the food, the food safety scares. A lot of other issues right now, I think, plaguing Chipotle that are kind of like stacking on top of it, and making it hard. So they have Chiptopia coming out this or in process right now during the summer to try and boost traffic, and, and they're probably going to uh, turn that into a more permanent loyalty program. We can talk about that later. But I wanted to mention some of the other issues too and how they play into the business overall. Yeah. So uh, as you as you mentioned that they uh, in their quarter one their comps were down quite significantly, but in the last quarter. Uh, where we expected to start to see some kind of improvement, their comps were down 24%, their revenue was down 17%. And and that's to be expected to some degree, but this is a very lagging recovery. Um, and other things that are kind of affecting them more recently, Mark Crumpacker, who was in charge of cleaning up the crisis, he was the exec put in that role, um, he was put on administrative leave in July because of um, a very well publicized cocaine bust, mm-hmm. uh, which you know was it could not be foreseen, it was very unexpected. And the other thing is uh, an employee lawsuit, uh, underpaid workers, uh, people are alleging, sorry, that Chipotle uh, underpaid its staff by misclassifying them and making them work extra hours. And this is uh, in, there's nine lawsuits across six states, and it, there's a lot of workers, uh, workers involved. And you were telling me before we came in that this is actually all part of a, maybe a bigger issue for Chipotle because they recently announced that they have 130% staff turnover. Mm-hmm. So... The with the uh, the class action the lawsuit among the employees, it's basically it comes down to an issue of them working overtime and not getting paid for it. Uh, you know, Chipotle on the in terms of their headquarters, uh, the core company management has argued you know that this is not their doing. Maybe some rogue managers, but overall, you know, Chipotle's unique, right? Doesn't have franchises. It operates all of its stores, so I don't think that it's that easy for them to kind of wipe their hands of it and blame somebody down the line. At the same time, you know, I think uh, the latest news was that 10,000 Chipotle employees have signed on uh, to be a part of the class action. The company overall, I think, has around maybe 60,000 employees or so. So it's a pretty sizable portion. Um, that, again, just I don't think it's necessarily a concern uh, that can just uh, they can kind of make go away, and it will. It will, uh, it's going to impact them for sure, I think, in terms of just their ongoing recovery. But um, I think the bigger problem for that, sorry to interrupt no, you, it's is, is much more around this food with integrity yes. whole issue. And it's that I think the marketing uh, needs completely overhauling because it does not resonate with people anymore. I think that this, um, the exec issue being put on administrative leave, and obviously the whole foodborne illness thing, directly uh, goes against everything that Chipotle has previously stood for. And I think it's starting to make people second guess everything that they believe formally from the marketing. So for me, the biggest thing that whoever, Ackman or whoever becomes in charge of this uh, turnaround, uh, Steve Ells, um, they need to start addressing that identity issue. Mm-hmm. It's funny because earlier this summer, uh, we did a life cycle episode and we focused on Chipotle, basically how that burrito comes to be uh, from you know the farm where the ingredients come from, kind of the processes they've implemented to improve the food safety aspect and then how it ends up like in front of you as your burrito bowl, for example. And we touched on the fact that the company talks a lot about its food with integrity, how they have these initiatives in place to kind of help local growers, um, local suppliers. but. In the end, you know, some of the feedback that we got in the episode was the fact that it's hard 
to take that at face value when they've had some of these issues. Um, you know, not only just on the food safety side, but now with the employees, and it does kind of require, I think, this for Steve Ells and uh, the rest of management to think about how they're going to kind of reposition the company in terms of the marketing and its image so that, you know, customers, you know, have that feeling again when, like, I remember before the scare of going to Chipotle and, and, and it being just like something that I think diners really looked forward to and seeing those long lunch lines and having the fact that they were able to get through those so quickly. But otherwise, um, you know, what do you think in, in terms of what do you think might be some changes that Ackman pushes? Uh, you know, previously you met, uh, you mentioned some of his other restaurant investments. I think that some of the success that he saw with those, frankly, was really strong management teams. Like with Burger King, for example, they got bought out by 3G Capital, which has made quite a name for itself, turning around some big companies. You know, they were involved in the Anheuser-Busch InBev deal. Uh, they were involved in the, in the Kraft Heinz deal. So very, um, you know, very strong leadership there in terms of cutting costs, improving operations. In this case, and I guess it really depends, do you believe in Chipotle being able to, uh, their management being able to do that? What do you think Ackman might suggest? I think there has for a long time been a suggestion that they shake up the board. So it's a nine-person board, um, and the average tenure is crazy. It's like 20-plus years. Um, and so you are there's a lot of criticism, criticism that there's not diverse opinions there. So I think he may suggest a shake-up of the board. I wouldn't be surprised about that at all. Um, and it's something that a lot of investors have been pushing for. I think he may also suggest a move to franchisees, which I know Chipotle is trying more recently, but they are not enjoying that process. So we'll see how that goes down. And then generally constructional, constructive sorry, operational improvements, so new restaurant formats, kind of a general shake-up, a substantive loyalty program, which you alluded to earlier. And then the other thing, which I think is more important, uh, is, is to kind of give them focus. So if you look at a lot of things they're doing, they're a bit of a scatter approach, especially with their seed concepts. They've got Tasty Made, which is a new burger chain, Shop House Kitchen, and Pizzeria Locale. Yep. So the Tasty Made is a, actually a pretty recent announcement. And I think I've seen some uh, you know, bears or critics argue that they haven't really done much with Shop House in terms of growing those concepts in Pizzeria Locale. So to start another one, in the midst of the fact that their reporting comes still down 20 plus percent, like is this really the right time to be thinking about these kind of these side pet projects? Absolutely, and they uh, they reiterated in their last quarterly earnings call that they want to grow Chipotle by 256, I think, stores this year. So they're expanding rapidly in their you know core competency, and now they're looking to go into other things. I think they really need to kind of take stock and find out what's working and what obviously isn't working for them before they go and proceed with anything else. Yep. So, you know, wrapping up here, um, I think with, with the news, you know, there is this small bump with the, the um, disclosure of Bill Ackman's, you know, approximately 10% holding. Um, at the same time, here at the full, obviously, taking more of that long term view. Just something to keep in mind is, you know, Chipotle is going to be coming up soon on some of its, uh, you know, some pretty uh, favorable comparisons for them because, you know, their hardest headquarters are ahead of them over the next year or so and that will even psychologically I think for some investors to see hey you know our comps are up again our revenue is going up again I think Ackman's timing is pretty good yeah. if he's going if you're going to take a 10% stake and again and at the same time it's not like a you know 0.5% stake and then an activist investor tries to get heavily involved in the company 10% it's respectable I think that 
um, you know, he can have some pretty uh, positive contributions based on his prior experience in this industry. And, uh, you know, but again, in terms of just that, that stake and taking the long-term review, there is, uh, I think, over the next couple of years, some momentum that Chipotle can build if they can kind of get through these issues on the food safety side with the employees and just any other kind of bad press, essentially, and get back to that, what I think their core uh, you know, efficiency is, especially with like their restaurant operating margins, getting those back up to par, being able to deliver those in the past, I think, as they scale, that really benefits them. But any other takeaways that you think of? No, I think I think you hit every point on the head. They're, they've obviously been struggling, um, and I think that this is just you know more of a minor market move that people probably shouldn't uh, include in their long-term thesis. Okay, so uh, that is all from us today. But you can continue the conversation with Industry Focus uh, via Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or send us any questions or comments via email to industryfocus@fool.com. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening. For more.